and please join me in welcoming Sweetie Mason Weaver. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to come before you. It really has been a great journey to Albany. I want to thank Tom D., the President and CEO of Benetton Hospital, and also Henry Boone, who, who made me leave San Diego in the wintertime and come to Albany, New York. Well, I had to fly to Albany. And, I, and it took me two days to get to Albany. That's why I got to ride here. It was, it's interesting, folks. Tonight, I want to talk to you about history. Let's just have a little history talk. You know, February was declared by somebody to be Black History Month, and my organization has declared March as Black Future Month. Now, it's, it's, important, to, it's important to know your history, but a 30-foot oak tree has only five feet of root because the oak tree spends its time and energy going to the future, not going to the past. And it's time that we understood who we are as a people, I mean Americans, who we are as a culture, or what are we going to be in the future and what our children will inherit from us. It's important to understand who we are as a people and what problems we had in the past and what successes we had in the past and how can we utilize the past to grow over the future. You are all standing on the shoulders of those who went before you. You are standing on the shoulders of those who have suffered, those who have conquered, those who have resisted, those who have brought forth who you are. You are standing on the, on the shoulders. And you owe a debt. You owe a debt to the suffering, to the, uh, to, to the, to the fear. You have come from a people who was who afraid to even do what I'm doing right now. To stand in public and speak proper English was against the law only a few days ago. To be in public, learn how to read and write was against the law. You, are, you owe it to the people who came before you who had to suffer so much for so little, hoping that one day their ancestors could stand up in public straight back and earn what they deserve in this country, which is economic freedom and health freedom. There was a legacy of slavery, but I do not want to talk just to black folks. I want you to understand, slavery was not a racial issue. Slavery was an issue of power. Who's going to take the work of your back and earn money off the cotton you pick? That's what slavery was all about. Then it came with white folks, Indians, black folks, whoever worked, they were going to use them. Slavery began in Africa, and I'm going to tell you, I have a degree in black history. I speak Swahili fluently. I have, I have a degree in political science of, of African nations. I know my history. I'm going to tell you about the future. In Africa, we had a, a culture. In Central Africa, we had a culture where black men actually thought black women was worth dying for. That was a culture. I know it's strange today, but black men thought it was worthwhile to die for the black women. I, I was confused as a young man. I went to Berkeley. That means I'm, I'm, I'm recovering. I'm recovering. We, we, it's going to be okay. I got a, I got a, a 12-step program. It's called Making Money Every Month. But I went to Berkeley, and they, they told me to hate myself, to hate myself enough to fight against my own success. But I kept hearing them say things to me that didn't make a lot of sense. They kept saying, as a black man, I had limited choices in America. I didn't believe that. So I began to look at who I was as a black man. I know you all know that I'm black, and 
I've been black most of my life, except for a period of time I was, I was an African-American, but I did get over that. I did get over that, folks, because, you see, I realized that my ancestors, nine generations of weavers that I can find, have fought in every war the country's ever had, has contributed to every economic, social, political, historical advantage this country has achieved, that my people have been here in nine generations. We have cemeteries in Mississippi with black weavers born and died there and buried there. Therefore, if I'm not American, who is? You know, I, I, my, wife, my wife and I went to Haiti and I found Haitians. I went to Mexico and found Mexicans. I went to Germany and found Germans. I cannot seem to find an American in America, so it's me. It's, I'll be the one. We have respect. I learned something about my history. I have to look at myself, look at my, at my history, who I was as, as a black man. I look at Africa, and I'm going to tell you something, something about the search for truth, folks. The search for truth will free you. Truth will free you. Do not be afraid of knowledge. Knowledge is power. It will free you. Don't let folks tell you, don't get the knowledge. The knowledge will free you. I have folks thinking, telling me every day, Mason, if I go, every time we go to the doctor, we end up having cancer and die. That's because you only go to the doctor when the symptoms so bad, you're sick. You know, I heard a few years ago that this, this rapper, I forgot his name, NWA, the one of these guys, died three weeks after he was diagnosed with AIDS. Folks, how sick do you have to be to die three weeks after you're diagnosed with AIDS? And in the rap magazine, they were talking about how the system just wanted him to die. Because you got the great hero like um, uh, Magic Johnson had been living at that time three or four years with AIDS. He hadn't died yet. And you got this black gangster rapper who they don't like, and the man let him die of AIDS. Folks, we all know the reason why he died of AIDS. He did not get checked early enough. My question wasn't what the system did. My question was how many women did he infect? That's my question. How many women do you infect? Because now black men do not have what our ancestors had, the willingness to die for their women. And it's time we start talking about that. We're going to talk about the truth today. So if you don't want the truth, you need to go home because you're going to get it right here. Because I'll have nothing to lose, see. I have nothing to lose, folks. It's, it's just time we start facing some things. You know, I am married to the world's most beautiful woman. She's here with me tonight. I don't need nothing from anybody. I'm just going to tell you the truth and go home. And I'm going to tell you where the truth comes from and how we can obtain it and how it will set you free. Folks, truth will set you free. But first, I'm going to tell you why you don't like the truth. I'm going to tell you why you ignore the truth, attack the truth teller, try to avoid the truth, try to change the truth to something more comfortable for you. I'm going to tell you why you don't like the truth. Because the truth, in any form, once you hear the truth and you accept the truth as truthful, it will compel you to act. You cannot accept the truth without acting on it. And most of us are just lazy. So we avoid the truth. I went back looking at my heritage into Africa. Now, I want to tell you a little story about what happened in Africa as a lesson. Don't forget that five feet of root. But we're going to end up with a 30-foot oak tree here. Go back to what happened. I noticed that um, in the 1800s, late 1800s, I'm sorry, late 1400s, this African king came out of Africa full of council of gold and jewelry. He gave so much gold away, he almost destroyed the gold market in Cairo. Uh, he had a 30-foot golden nugget to tie his horse on to. And I was amazed at this man's story, the splendor, the wealth he had, education, his warriors. And I noticed that the, uh, the European traders in Cairo and Egypt saw him also. 
They saw who he was. They went back home and told their friends. That boy got money. You know, he got money down there. But my question was, 50 years later, folks, 50 years later, the Europeans had rather go 5,000 miles across the ocean looking for gold in El Dorado in South America than 500 miles across the land to get his gold. Now, the question is, why? Wouldn't it be easier to go 500 miles across the land than 5,000 miles across the ocean? The reason why is that the man also had 250,000 black men preparing to die for his community. You see, I, I am a male. There's a reason I have muscles. Not just to carry my wife's bags and love to kill bugs. There's a reason I have money. The, 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 the definition of manhood is not writing a check to my baby's mama. That's not the definition of manhood. Right, writing a check to my baby's mama means I have abandoned my baby. That is not what manhood is all about. Manhood means I'm standing in that community, living in that home, protecting her, my baby, and my baby's mama. That means I'm prepared to die, to use my energy, use my strength, use my, my, my fearlessness, not just to rap and lie and seduce, but also to protect and die for it. That's, that's what it is. So these black men, 250,000 mounted warriors, convinced the Europeans to go across the ocean to look for gold instead of going to get the gold from this particular person. And, but what happened, though, a few years actually before Christopher Columbus, 1444, on the coast of Africa, a bunch of merchant marines, folks, the African slave trade was never about an army invading Africa. We were not defeated by a war and taken captives. We were visited by a bunch of sailors on a cruise. Unarmed merchant marines, merchant sailors saying, on their way back to Portugal, let's stop up and pick up a few slaves. They came into our community. They took the black men off their knees, worshiping false and useless gods. And took those black women out the homes and took those black children away, and nobody stood up against them because in that community, the men had left the reason for dying for their family. And so therefore, our families was left open to anybody else who wanted to come in and abuse us. So the slave trade began because we were defenseless. Men, I don't expect my wife to die for me. That's my job. My job was to die for her. Her job was to live for me. That's called a marriage. So we have a, we have a personal, we have a personal goal in our life. I'm going to be the male, she's going to be the female, and I found this better off for it. But what happened in Africa, folks, I'm going to tell you what happened. Whenever you have a situation where the men of the community is allowed to have more than one woman, whether you wink at it, whether you got two wives openly, Whenever you have a situation where the men, the young, aggressive warrior types, when they're allowed to have more than one wife, every society you try it, the same things happen. Society falls apart. Here, in America, we call them those young guys gangbangers, folks. Same thing. They disrespect the women in their song and they talk and they walk in their action. Disrespect. And you can't protect your sister because she does the same thing to my sister. So there's no continuity. There's no respect there. Every time you allow men to have more than one woman, you have no protection. I'll tell you why. I have a wife 
and my neighbor has a, has a wife, and my neighbor on the other side of me has a wife, and we've got children in the community, and we're all band together as a bunch of men, and we go hunting together, and we stand guard over the community together, and we protect each other, and the sign of danger, any one of us can call the alarm, and all of us will grab our spears and show up. However, if I've got another wife over the hill somewhere, I can't show up. I've got to go protect Susie May over here. I'll catch you guys later. So now the army is weaker, the community is weaker, and you're more vulnerable for attack, and all of us are weaker because the men are not standing up for their community. That's the history. That's the history. So whenever you have a society of a real commitment, Real community. Let me explain to you what community means, because in the slave society, the master never, ever, ever meant the same thing for our community that he meant for his community. See, our community, when they say community, that means the group of slaves, the field slaves, the house slaves, the community of slaves, the, the slaves that get the, the content of the market slaves, but never, ever a community of families. The last thing master wanted was families. The last thing master wanted was me to pay and die for my wife. That's the last thing. He, he wanted me to be a breeder. Tell me how great it was, how many women I got, you know? How good it was making David and bragging about it. Bragging about it. So I'm saying it's time for men. Right now I'm talking to the men because you want a healthy community. The health begins when you have men standing up, choosing wives worth dying for. Choosing wives worth dying for and not sending a check but going to check up. Woo. It's just time, folks, talk about this. It's just time. Because... Slavery is a self-inflicted wound. Nobody can enslave you but you. No one can make you die early of heart disease but what you put in your body. Nobody can do that. So I, I looked at, as respect men have for women, and I started looking at society in general, white society, European society, Asian society. Guess what, folks? The same thing works. You know how to end poverty in America? Anybody can say about poor folks in America, you, you want to stop poverty or you want to just make people comfortable in poverty? Give more government cheese programs. You know, give them low-income housing instead of high-income housing. Give them minimum wage instead of maximum wage. You want to end poverty, I'm going to tell you how you can end poverty tomorrow. It's real simple, folks. You look at the census, somebody's got computers, go home and want to look up the U.S. Census Bureau and look up the statistics on poverty. White, black, Indian, Eskimo, Hispanic, look up poverty. Look up the middle-aged, poverty-stricken people. And look up those who are married. Marriage almost eliminates poverty. It almost eliminates it. Every racial group, 44% of black females, single black females, live in poverty. Less than 4% of married black females live in poverty. You want to stop poverty? Marry that man. If it's not worth marriage, don't have him in your bed. Can I talk about that? We spend too much time trying to convert bad boys into good boys. Ladies, we need your help. You know, righteous men need your help. We need for you to bring men to the community that we can work with. I can't work with Pookie and them. I cannot work with Pookie and them. Pookie is the enemy. My, uh, my, one of my son's friends called me a player hater. Trust me, I hate players. I hate players. I can't stand a player. You can't come with me and tell me about how many women you have in the community. You're not going to get a favorable reaction out of me. It doesn't take a real man to have three four girls, folks. Take a 14-year-old boy and do that. Not difficult. But what happens, the community is at risk. The community has no protection. The community has nobody validating their goal, their good. 
No one can, can protect you. We're talking about unemployment. Folks, on the plantation, there was a 100% employment rate. 100%. I don't care about how many jobs you have. I don't care about how much money you have. You have to establish the family that makes a community. Can you imagine what happened? If, you, if all the men in the community decide tomorrow, all the men decide tomorrow, there'd be no women selling themselves on the corner in our neighborhood. All the men. All the men decide tomorrow, there'd be no more robberies in our neighborhood. If all the men decide tomorrow, there will be no more illegitimate babies born in this community, this neighborhood, starting tomorrow. It will stop. Women can decide all day long and, and fuss and whine and complain all day long, but nothing will change, so the men decide to change it. We got to decide to do that. So I looked at what happened in Africa, what success came out of Africa, then I started looking at all the world in general, and I began to recognize who we were. And on that plantation, we were taking off. Can I preach a little bit today? I just want to know. I just feel like preaching. I don't know why. Yes, I do. I know why. <laughs> In Africa, folks, I began to study slavery. I want to understand what happened. Because I keep hearing all these things about we were African kings and queens. We were powerful empires. My question was, well, what happened? Anybody ask, what happened? If we were kings and queens and had powerful empires and had educational systems and science system that was an envy of Europe, what happened? Somebody will tell me now what happened. I need to know because truth will free you. What happened? And I began to look at poverty and slavery and, and, and the plantation system that we were under, and I noticed something, folks, and, and the first thing I noticed about slavery is that God's people never go into slavery worshiping God. You never see in history or the Bible people going into slavery praising God, singing those spirituals. No, you never see them go into slavery because my God's the God of freedom, not a God of slavery. So I don't see it. And I don't see in the Bible or in history where people ever come out of slavery until they stop doing what they're doing and begin to call on the Lord. Now, I notice that. I'm a historian. I, I study history. And I begin to try to find reasons to, to, to think it was false. I could not find it. So I look at Africa. And once I, once I, once I notice that we came out of Africa worshiping all kinds of useless, blind gods, gods who could not keep me free, gods who could not keep my women safe, God who cannot protect my family and my children. God who allowed me to be taken into slavery while I was worshiping him. God who allowed me to be on that slave ship to be beaten and raped and murdered while I was calling out his name. God who could not keep my wife from being raped in front of me while I'm calling out his name. And now I've been told to go back to that God again. We stayed in slavery for 420 years, 200 years in this country, working on false and useless gods. It wasn't until we began to sing those old Negro spirituals in the fields, chopping that cotton, picking that cotton, singing those old Negro spirituals called on the name of the Lord, that a Christian movement began in this country. And black folks and Christians once again walked out of slavery praising God. I began to recognize that my freedom, my health, and the health of my community was attached to how I worshiped my God. And so I, as a man, began to look at myself as the high priest of my home, 
I went to my girlfriend. I said, you either marry me or trade me, because we got some things to do here. How I treated my wife became part of my worship. Became part of my how I protected my children became part of my worship. What I put in my body to keep me strong enough to protect my family is part of my worship. Today we have a diet of death. I'm writing a book called Mama. Your food is killing us. Now I love my mama. Mama can cook. And I raised up a married woman just like my mama. Cook like she do. But I told her, you got to stop it. you got to stop it. If you love me, stop it. Because I'm going to eat your cooking. <laughs> stop it. The slave master knew it was more beneficial for me to work myself to death and die early and let him have what's left. And make me to a breeder to make more babies for him. And keep them working until they die. Master understood that my death mean money for him. It was cheaper to keep me alive just long enough to finish picking his cotton and go sit down somewhere and die for him. So he had a diet for us that made us continue to eat it. Now, black women, bless your heart. Bless your heart. You live in a, in a life of depravity. You live a, a life with no food for your children's nutrition. You did what you could do with what you had. The master swallowed a pig and took the, took the chops and the ribs and the bacon and the ham and threw away what he did not want. You call it garbage. And black women, bless their heart, they took what they had. And they cleaned those guts out and made some delicacy out of it. They took that crackling off that skin and ate that. They found a way to cook pig's feet and pig ears and pig nose. They found a way for their children to eat and raise them boys up. We are now standing on the shoulders of those folks. But now, folks, I don't eat the pig guts anymore. I survived. Now I'm thriving. It's time to start thriving now. You don't go back. You don't go back to the diet master laid out for you. You don't go back and accept what he accepted for you. That was his goal. That was master's plan. What's your master plan for yourself? Master plan for you to die early. Black men die at age 69 now. Average age of a black man is 69 years old. How can that be? We play ball, we run, we box, we dance all day long. How can we die at age 69? We are the healthiest men on this planet. I'm 54 years old. I'm healthy as an ox. I'm what, 69? Why? Because of what? Because of the diet he left me. The diet he left me. Black women. You're getting too much weight on you. Can we talk about this for a second? You know, because I love you. This is not about being attractive. Everybody loves black women. I love black women. They got nothing to do with attractive. They got nothing to do with how good you look, girl. Everybody wants a black woman. I'm talking about health. We are dying. We are killing our children and we're killing ourselves. We got to back off master's diet and get the diet we had in Africa. Keep us alive. Keep us mentally alive. If you don't stop it, he won't stop it. See, right now, the black man dies at age 69 average. We worked 40 years on the job picking his cotton for him. He takes, he takes 12% of our income away in, to make us socially secure. Now, see, folks, now, now, the slave master, this is not white and black. This is not racist. This is just how power, power is outlaid in this country. Master always wants you, the black man, to work all of your life to take care of his wife. 
and his soldiers. He always expected that. Even when he died, he expected to stay in those fields and take that cotton for him to take care of his wife. That was, that was, that was master's job. Black or white, let do it. That's power. If you give me 95% of your vote, no matter what I do, I'm going to raise your kids to worship my kids. If you, if you allow me to take 45% of your income in taxes and educate your child my way, I will keep you broke and train your kids to worship my kids. That's because I'm, I'm, I'm a father. I love my kids. I don't love yours. They're my children. So I'm going to raise, if you let me, I'll raise your child to work for my child. And I will not raise your child to compete against my child. I have four degrees, folks. I'm telling you about college. College was endowed by business owners. This chair was, the chair was made, it's endowed to train you to be a good worker, not to be a competitor, to get the best job on the plantation. So I, I watched this, this situation where kids were growing up on the diet that Master gave them. Black men die age 69. We worked 40 years for Master. They take 12% of our income aside, and they put it in the bank, and it got you fighting for your Social Security. They keep it for 40 years and collect interest on the money. You'll get another interest coming to you that goes to them. And when you retire, if they like you, they give you back a few hundred bucks a month. Tax you on that too, by the way. And when you die, it doesn't go to your wife. It doesn't go to your children. It goes back to master to give to the person who lives the longest. You know who that is? The white female. So once again, black man, Master got you working all your life taking his woman. Now, I just want to know why are you fighting for that system. It works for him. I have no problem with him doing it. It works. But you know what? If you put away one hour of your salary a day, one hour a day, you put away in a, a 401k program, you're going to retire wealthy no matter what he does. No matter what he does. You see, if, if, you, if you took an a, a unemployed, uneducated, unmotivated child, 25 years old, and he works at McDonald's five bucks an hour for 25 years. He never gets a pay raise, 25 years. If he took your Social Security money and bought U.S. savings bonds at 5% interest, that $5 an hour salary would be worth $975,000 at age 50. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, what happens in your community if mom and dad retire with a million bucks in the bank? What happens in your community if mom and dad left you a million dollars in the bank and their grandma left them a million bucks in the bank? In one generation, you will not need aid for women with dependent children. You don't need vouchers because granddad took care of that. You don't need welfare food stamps because grandma took care of that. And you don't need vouchers or anything else. You will be what is called independent. But some folks tell me we can't make too much money. Tell me, we can't make too much. All of us can be rich, Mason. We all can't be rich. Well, I can. You can stay broke. I have a high-maintenance wife back there. High-maintenance. She married me for better or for worse, but she does require a yearly audit. Probably doesn't match her lifestyle. She told me that she deserves to live with a rich man. I got a choice. I'm just telling you. Mama gave me a choice. Your health belongs to you. Do you know why black folks like fried chicken? Uh, can I tell you about that? Let's have a little, little conversation here. You want to know why black folks like fried chicken? We don't really like fried chicken. But in the South, in the 40s and 50s, when we traveled around by car, we did, did not know how far we had to drive to get a restaurant to serve us. 
So we had to bring food that wasn't spoiled in the car with no air conditioning, and fried food worked. The fried food don't spoil. However, I've got a question for you. If, fly, if, you, if you got something that won't spoil, why are you eating it? <laughs> if it doesn't spoil for us, what is it? That you're eating. <laughs> I mean, if fried chicken is not good enough for nature to take apart, why are you putting it in your body? Because, because we got used to it. It became a culture. It became what we do, who we are. You know, wellness and culture is one thing. But I want to know, are you afraid of success? Are you afraid to actually plan to live 80 years? Or are you going by what Master said of you, that you're going to die at age 69 as a man in early 70s and as a black female? Are you going to do that? We have a choice, folks. Freedom is yours. Freedom means you must act. No one is going to, no one is going to give you freedom. Freedom is an individual journey, a private, personal journey. Freedom, like health, takes your action. You can't take pride in what I've done. You can't take pride in what my wife has done. You must take pride in what you have done. It takes, it takes money to be healthy, they tell me. I don't know. My father, sixth grade education, my mother, third grade education, end up only in a half the block they live on, and they're in the early 70s, and healthy. It doesn't take money, folks. It takes education and motivation. It takes a man taking that woman aside and saying, I want to live with you for four generations. I want to live with you all my life. I want to be healthy. Please do not put food in my body that's going to kill me. It takes a woman that has a man dedicated to her to provide security for her to feel comfortable. See, women are nest makers. They want to make nests. The reason you want to make nests, ladies, is that you have the areas of being babies in the home. The reason the home is cleaned by you is that you are expected to have babies and dirt. It's not good for babies. Men don't mind dirt. We go hunting and we're on the dirt and cat. We don't care. But you have to take that house and get clean so you can bring babies into the home. Nursing is what you do because you have to provide nourishment for your babies. But something happens, folks, from that baby to adulthood. We lose the effort. We lose the means to go to the next, next level. Success is natural. It is very natural. How many mothers do we have here tonight? Mothers, um, I want you to think about something, ladies. When you were pregnant, that baby was in your, is in your womb, comfortable, warm, loved, protected, given everything the baby could ever want in life. But eventually, that baby will struggle to be free of you. In spite of all what you give that child, that child will, be, will fight to get free of you. You bring the baby home after birth. You feed the child, keep the child in your arms, keep the child clean and changed and, and protected and fed in your arms. And eventually, that child will wiggle out of your arms to get on the floor and start crawling. The child will crawl. The child has never walked in its life. But still, the child will get up and try to walk. It is natural to go to the next step. The next level is natural. The child will try to walk, and the child will fail every time it tries. Every time it tries to walk, it tries to fall, it'll fall down. Every time it stands up, it'll wobble and fall, hold it to the coffee table, and be proud of just letting go. It's proud. Letting go of the past. I keep hearing folks tell me, Mason, don't forget where you came from. And I'll say, then why am I leaving where I am? That child doesn't sit back and think how good it was just crawling. That child thinks about how good it's going to be when I start running. The child starts to run and falls down and skins the knees and bump the head against the wall and starts crying and whining and hurting and painful, but it will run. 
It will not stop trying until it begins to run. It will fail every time the child tries to run until the moment, the second, the child gets tired of failing. Tired of failing. But it's natural, folks, for the child doesn't sit back and think how good it was just walking. Think about how good it would be to get my little Bob Big Boy next Christmas and get ready to get further away from you. It's natural. The child gets a little older and get a bicycle. Now think about how good it was I was just crawling. And think about your car. It's natural. It's natural to move on. Sometimes you've got you to encourage them to move on to the next step. My 18-year-old son, when he was 17, asked me, Dad, what did I get for my birthday at 18? I said, a set of luggage. <laughs> move on, boys. Time for the next stage. But something happens in adulthood. We are afraid of the next stage. We are afraid of it. We expect to be taken care of and coddled. Every problem in my life is somebody else's problem. Master, you didn't take care of me. Master, you didn't feed me enough. Master, what happened? You did not give me what I needed. Master, I need more gum and cheese. Master, give me a better hold of rake. I need, I need. You are a slave. Begging Master to take care of you. Look at your children. Your children will say, I need something. I better go and get it. Learn how to walk. Learn how to crawl. Learn how to run. Learn how to rent that bicycle. Learn how to live. You live in the country where your neighbors live 10 years longer than you. That means they are doing something you're not doing. Look around you. See what success is and duplicate it. Don't let folks tell you your culture is a culture of poverty. That's your culture. It's your circumstances, but not your culture. Look at success and then duplicate it. I have a friend... I'm not using about Black History Month. I have a friend that's German. He's very proud of being Anglo-Saxon. But it's funny. I don't see him on German Day running around with a hard helmet on trying to be a Viking. I don't see him doing that. I have a friend that's Italian. He's proud of being Roman heritage. I don't see him on Roman Day with spears walking around. He's trying to build a better Mercedes, folks. The other guy's trying to go in the Internet business, trying to go ahead to the future, trying to learn how to run while he's walking. Now, I'm not saying forget your past, but learn from your past and learn from folks who are living longer and living better and living healthier lives. Learn from people around you. Right in your same neighborhood, they're living longer. It's something they are doing. I can hear the question, oh, the rich get richer and the poor gets poorer. Heard of that, folks? I got news for you. They're right. The rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer. Now, I'm going to explain to you why. The rich are doing things that bring income and success to their family. They keep doing the same thing because it makes money for them. And the more they do it, the more money they make, so they get richer naturally. The poor are doing things generation after generation after generation, the same things, the same results, and poverty is increased over and over again because you're doing the same things your daddy did, the same things your great-grandfather did, and you are poor because you're doing things that poor people do. If you're tired of being poor, start doing what rich people are doing. Change your behavior. Don't say tax rich. Change your behavior. Change your behavior. Don't say, I need to tax the rich more. Taxing the rich won't, won't put a dime in your pocket or a of bread on your table. Taxing the rich won't do anything for your education or your child's education. Taxing the rich won't do anything for your self-esteem or your longevity. It will not help you one bit. You can't tax me. 
You can't tax me. You know why? I don't pay taxes. It's called shelters, folks. I don't, you can't tax me. But what you can tax is what I do with my money. You put a tax on luxury cars, guess what? I don't have to buy one. But you've got to repair them and make them and make the tires for them and, make, and pump the gas in them so if I don't buy the car, you don't have a job. Everything that wealthy people do creates jobs. Let's stop hating the wealthy and learn how they do it and move on. Folks, I want to talk one more thing about marriage. I have a, um, used to have a radio program, and I love making people think. You cannot think and stay broke. You can't think and stay broke. I used to make a statement. Does anybody know what the divorce rate in America is today? It's hard out. What is it? 50%. I hear that everywhere I go. Have you ever heard anybody quote the source of that statement? 50%. You never heard them say, Based on social social data, who who counts marriages? And who counts divorces? You have to go downtown and get a license to get a marriage license, right? And you gotta go downtown and get a divorce from a judge, right? So they count divorces and they count marriages. I'm gonna tell you a statistic that nobody here is gonna believe. Because masters told you that marriages don't work and marriages don't last. And married couples are crazy, and, and divorce is going to happen so that when you argue with your husband or wife, you better well say, oh, give it up anyway. It's not going to work. Because they want you not to have a strong family, because the master wants to be your husband or your wife, not the one you choose. The divorce rate in this country has never, ever, 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 ever been in the history of our country, even before we became a country, over 10%. I would challenge anybody to prove me wrong. It has never been over 10%. When you go home, look at the almanac. You got marriage rate, death rate, divorce rate. Look it up. But they want you to believe that you cannot stay married because they know that married couples live longer, they live healthier, they take care of one another, they nourish the children better, they raise a better community, and they, there are people in this country who don't want you to be in a healthy relationship. They don't want you to be that way. They want you to be poverty and needy. But marriages work. Marriages end, ends poverty. It ends illiteracy. It ends crime. You know, they did a statistic, they just did a, statistic a, a program in Cleveland about 10 years ago, and it was so successful they traveled all over the country. All they had to do was find these, these uh, welfare mothers, little young girls, 18, 19 years old, that had babies. They found the baby's daddy, and all they wanted to do was just get these little young gangbangers to admit, that's my baby. They weren't asked for any money. They weren't asked for any commitment. They weren't asking them to help do anything. They just said, acknowledge, that's your child. And they found out something after three years survey, folks. What did they find out? After three years of these young men admitting, that's my baby. They may hate the woman. But they found that 60% married that woman. 60%. These young gangbangers, they found out that, that, that drug dealing on the neighborhood dropped significantly because guess what? You can't sell drugs on that block because my kid plays there. All of a sudden, drive-by shootings? No, 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 no. My daughter plays on that courthouse. You can't do that there. Once again, folks, the warrior stood up. The warrior stood up and said, not there. And began to defend the community instead of, instead of prying on the community. They found that when the men acknowledged the children, 
that they protect the community. They live longer. They live healthier. They get a job. So it's like 80% got a job. It was a phenomenal change in the community by just acknowledging that's my baby. Folks, if you want a strong community, you better go back to what's always worked. In every civilization, everywhere you've tried this is the history of mankind, every place you've tried it. You want to live healthy lives? You want to live a long, prosperous life? You want a community that grows and builds upon itself? It has to be a woman and a man commit themselves to raise those children. You have to have that. That means that brings success to your community. Now, women, I talk about men for a little while. Let me discuss something with you. There are two things wrong with men. Two things wrong with men. One, you picked our daddy. And second, you raised most of the boys. You picked a daddy who didn't qualify to be daddy. You made him a daddy before he qualified to be a daddy. And then you demanded he act like a daddy. When he got you in that bit, act like a boy. I'm just telling you. So you have, you have, a, you have a weak man. Now you've bred a weak boy. And you got other weak men hanging around him. Daddy is not there anymore. You got other weak men as, a, as an example for him for manhood. And he grows up respecting nobody including himself. You've got to choose a man worthy of your body. He has to be worthy of your body. It is the greatest gift you can give a man. It is the greatest gift you can give a man. You don't trade that for the future. I'm going to give you my body. You promise me good in the future. You won't know why men lie to you because it works. It works. So we need women to make the man qualify. Qualify. They must. I know you think if I do this, I won't have no man. No, you won't have any more boys. You, you may not have a whole lot of dates, but you don't need one husband. You pick a man who's willing to die for you. If, if you lay in bed with a man tonight, and you roll over and look at him, and you know that somebody kicked that front door open, he's going to run with you. If you know that man is not going to get up, he has no business being down. I'm just telling you, if you, if you lay in bed with a man that you don't know, he, you have to be convinced that he will give his life for you. He should not be spending his time with you. Cherish yourselves more than that. Cherish who you are. My mother said, my mother raised seven boys. Seven boys and one girl. She has nine grandchildren all through marriage. And she told each one of us something very profound, very important as a young man. She said, boy, it takes a heck of a man to be having no man at all. A heck of a man to be having no man at all. Don't think having a man means something for you. You've got to have anybody that comes along, folks. I'm tell you right now. If you are the queen, the only man you deserve is the king. Therefore, if you are the queen and spend your time with the court jester, spend your time with the prince, spend your time with, 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 with Pookie and him, and the king comes by, the king will admire you, look at you, think you're attractive, and say, she, she looks great, but she's not my kind of lady. I can tell you about a guy she's hanging with. Hey, move on down the road. See, kings also looking for queens. We're going to look for somebody who's going to bring us down, who's going to bring us up. Prepare yourself for the king, ladies. Prepare yourself for the king. Be ready for him to appear in your life. 
Be ready for him to accept you who you are. Be ready for him to acknowledge that he will grow old with you. Let him qualify. Let him climb over that wall you have. And then you and him will raise babies together. And together those babies will bring health and prosperity back to our community. God bless you. Let's go in. Stop that. Thank you.